So, Dale, I don't know how much you know about therapy, but it usually starts by you telling me a little something about yourself. I thought there'd be couches and Kleenex and shit. Look at me, son. It's not your fault. Do you want to talk about some of those feelings? I love you. Obviously, you don't know me. So how is this supposed to work? You sit, I sit, we talk. Hi, I'm Dr. Sam. And I'm Dr. Fran. Welcome to Freudian Scripts, the podcast where we put your favorite TV shows and movies on the hypothetical couch and take a deeper dive into the way psychology is portrayed. We analyze the way therapy looks in entertainment, discuss the way psychological diagnoses are portrayed, and break down other psychological themes seen on our screens. As a reminder, Freudian Scripts is for informational and entertainment purposes only. Please consult your mental health professional with any questions and seek care if needed. The content and clips in today's episode will contain explicit language and mature and adult themes. Hello, everyone, and welcome back. This month, in honor of Autism Awareness Month, we hope to promote autism acceptance with two new sessions, our first of which is today, and we are putting a classic movie on the couch and discussing autism. Charlie Babbitt lives by his own rules, but all of that is about to change. Raymond is your brother. My brother? I don't have a brother. Rain Man. Winner of four Academy Awards, including Best Picture, Best Director, and Best Actor. Of course, I'm an excellent driver. Raymond, Raymond, you never, never touch the steering wheel when I'm driving. Do you hear me? I'm definitely not wearing my underwear. What? Academy Award winner Dustin Hoffman. Academy Award nominee Tom Cruise. Tuesday, we have pancakes. Pancakes. Rain Man. Maple syrup. Hey, bet your butt. Bet your butt. I like having you for my people. As you can hear, we are super excited to be covering a very classic movie, Rain Man. So, Rain Man is a 1988 American film. It is about car dealer Charlie Babbitt, who is played by Tom Cruise, um, and he learns that his estranged father has died, and he returns home to Cincinnati. While in Cincinnati, he discovers that he has an autistic older brother named Raymond, who is played by Dustin Hoffman. Charlie also learns that his father's $3 million fortune is being left to the institution in which Raymond lives. In order to get his father's money, Charlie schemes and takes Raymond out of the facility, taking him home to Los Angeles with him. The two embark on a cross-country road trip back to L.A. together. I do have to admit, I don't think I'd ever seen this movie until we prepared to record this episode. I've heard about it. I know the general premise, uh, but this was my first time watching it. I think the same. I feel like I had seen like fragments or seen it in pieces, but this was definitely the first time I remember watching it all the way through like in its entirety. Um, and it had definitely been a long time since I had even seen pieces of it. So it was like watching a brand new movie for sure for me. I didn't even know like how it ended. I didn't remember that. I don't think I'd ever seen the ending. No, me neither. And so like we're kind of referring to this movie's been around for a long time. A lot of people have heard of, heard of it. It came out in 1988, like Dr. Sam mentioned, and that year was actually the highest grossing film, um, which is a pretty big deal. It was nominated for eight Oscars at the 61st Academy Awards. It won Best Picture, Best Original Screenplay, Best Director, and um, Dustin Hoffman won Best Actor in a Leading Role for his portrayal of Raymond in this movie. And that's very interesting because in some of the research I had done on the movie as well, they talked about how this was a movie that took a little while to get off the ground and actually get people interested and in kind of making it. People weren't sure how interested others would be. And then, like you mentioned, Dr. Fran, like it was the highest grossing film of the year, won a bunch of awards. So definitely 
um, I think, exceeded expectations and did really well at the time that it was released. Yeah, and we'll talk about this a little bit more in terms of kind of how this movie has aged over time (laughs) and, you know, some problematic stereotypes and things like that. And thinking about in the context of it being 1988, this Mm -hmm. being one of the first movies that had ever portrayed the types of themes and diagnoses and portraying autism in like this huge film that, of course, it made sense that it got like so much attention um, and a critical acclaim for that time. Definitely. And on that topic, it does seem like the film had a psychiatrist who specialized in autism spectrum disorder um, and also individuals that are savants um, while making this film. And on that note, we do want to mention that we understand that there are differing opinions and preferences regarding referring to someone as autistic or a person with autism or autism spectrum disorder. As you know, we often try our best to make an effort and use person-centered language, Um, but it's also our understanding that some adults in the autism community prefer the term autistic. Um, So today you'll likely hear us use both, um, either people with autism or autistic, and really the goal here is just to be sensitive, and it's always important to ask someone for their preference and kind of what they feel comfortable with, what they would like. If you know someone or working with someone, talking to someone, it's always good to kind of get the language that they like to use. And so today I just want to give a heads up. As you know, we often talk about the importance of language. And so you will be hearing us use both just to kind of respect both schools of thoughts as we know that um, everyone has their own opinion on this and their own preferences, which is very understandable. Yeah, absolutely. And we also know these things change over time as we learn more and as people have more of their voices heard, like from the community of people who have autism, sharing how their preferences and as we learn more about this. So if you're listening to this a year from now or two years from now, the terminology might be different. Um, So just kind of keeping that in mind, too, that this is ever evolving and we're always trying to keep up with it as best that we can. That's a great point. And again, really, the most important piece is that the individual that you're talking to or talking about um, has a say and is able to make their voice heard or, you know, that you use what they're most comfortable with. So in Rain Man, we meet Charlie. Um, As we mentioned, Charlie is played by Tom Cruise. I'm surprised it's actually taken us this long to do a movie with Tom Cruise in it. Very true. Yeah, we we have not done anything with Tom Cruise. (laughs) Um, Yeah, and Tom Cruise, I think, especially around this era, was making a lot of movies that were very popular. Um, And I think Dustin Hoffman as well. But when we meet Tom Cruise in this role as Charlie, um, we kind of see he's working, like trying. I don't really even understand even after watching the movie, like what he does. It's like he is trying to sell people like Lamborghinis or something. It definitely seems like it's not on the up and up. Um, And he's trying to scam people. So we're introduced to Charlie. It seems like he's trying to scam people, try to get money. Um, And he receives a call early in the movie, finding out that his father has died. And like we mentioned in the brief synopsis, this makes this leads to him heading home to Cincinnati. And we learn that he's pretty estranged from his father. They don't have a good relationship. We also learn at least a little bit in the interactions we have with Charlie at the beginning that he just doesn't seem to be a very kind, warm, likable person, not super empathetic, really kind of looking out for himself and um, wanting to, you know, do whatever he needs to do to have his business survive or kind of get the things that he wants. And, And that becomes even clearer when his father's will is read. And he learns that all he's been left, I'm putting in quotations, all he's been left is this like very nice old classic vehicle and the rose bushes at his dad's house. I'm sorry, son. I can see that you're disappointed. Disappointed? Why should I be disappointed? I got rose bushes, didn't I? I got a used car, didn't I? What's his name? Got What'd you call him? The uh... beneficiary. Right, right. Beneficiary. He got $3 million, but he didn't get the rose bushes. I got the rose bushes. I definitely got the rose bushes. Charles. I definitely got the rose bushes. I mean, those are rose bushes. There is no need to... To what? To be upset? To be upset? If there is a hell, sir, 
My father's in it, and he is looking up right now, and he is laughing his ass off. Sanford Babbitt, you want to be that guy's son for five minutes? Did you hear that letter? Were you listening? Yes, sir, I was. Were you? Yes. And I will say that scene, though, when the the lawyer is describing, like, why he was left those things, you can hear that there was definitely some, like, judgment. Um, True. Obviously, they did not have a very positive relationship. Money seems to be a very big driver for Charlie. Um, And so when he learns that he did not receive the money and, in fact, only got the rose bushes um, to remind him that perfect is possible, even though it is not him, (laughs) um, he quickly goes on a mission to find out, like, who is the real beneficiary? Where has the money gone? Um, and how can he get his hands on it? And so he ends up going to Walbrook, which is an institution in the area that he learns um, has to do with the beneficiary. He's not sure exactly why or who the person is. And so then he kind of unravels this mystery that he didn't know about. Um, and let's listen to him kind of figuring out who this money is going to and why. Why'd you let him get in this car? She's not a she, toy. She says he drives this car. Dad lets me drive slow on the driveway every Saturday. Of course, the seats were originally brown leather. Now they're pitiful red. You know, these seats were brown on there. You know this car? I know this car. How do you know this car? Definitely know this car. It's 1949 Buick Roadmaster Straight 8, Fireball 8. Only 8,095 production models. Dad lets me drive slow on a driveway, but not on Monday. Definitely not on Monday. Who's your dad? Sanford Babbitt. Sanford Babbitt? 10961 Beechcrest Street, Cincinnati, Ohio. That's my address. I mean, what is it with this guy? Hey, who's your mother? Eleanor Babbitt. Eleanor? Died January 5th, 1965 after a short... Who the hell are illness. you? Uh-oh. Huh? Oh, wait a second. Where are you going? 13 minutes to Judge Wapner. The Wapner. people's court... Hold on. Wait a second here. I want to ask you a question. But you're a witness. Real participants are not... Hey, I'm talking to you. Bruner. Who is this guy? Raymond is your brother. So in this clip, we are introduced to Dustin Hoffman's character, which is Raymond. Um, and we see that he's taken a keen interest in this classic car that has been willed to Charlie. And he's saying that this is his father's car and that he drives it on Saturday, that he's a very good driver. Um, and this leaves, as we heard, Charlie to be very confused. Like, who are you? How do you know this car? How do you know all these details? And then the doctor lets him know that actually Raymond is your brother um, and has been living here for years. And your father is the one that, you know, your father left him the money. And Charlie's understandably upset because he has no recollection of um, his brother Raymond. And he's also upset that no one had ever shared this information with him. And then and that- he's upset that they're giving him $3 million. I was about to say, and then the anger quickly subsides as he realizes, like, well, you know, Raymond is getting this money, so how can I make that my money? Um, But let's also listen to one other clip from earlier on in the movie when we hear Charlie talking to the doctor about, like, who Raymond is. He's discovered this man and his brother, but, you know, why is he at this institution and kind of getting to know him a little bit more about him? What, is he crazy? No. Is he retarded? Not exactly. He's not crazy, he's not retarded, but he's here. Well, he's an autistic savant. I don't know what that means. Well, some people like him used to be called idiot savants. They have certain deficiencies, certain abilities. Yeah, he's retarded. Autistic. Actually high-functioning. What does that mean? Well, it means that the, there's a disability that impairs the sensory input and in how it's processed. English here, we're talking over my head. Well, Raymond has a problem communicating and learning. He can't even express himself or probably even understand his own emotions in a traditional way. Uh, there are dangers everywhere for Raymond. Routines, rituals, it's uh, all he has to protect himself. Yeah. Rituals, that's, that's a good one. That's, well, it's the way he acts, sleeps, eats, uses the bathroom, walks, talks, everything. Any break in the routines, and it's terrifying. 
So here we hear that the doctor has diagnosed Raymond as an autistic savant. Um, and we'll talk a lot in this episode about autism and also about savant syndrome. And we'll kind of talk about how well that fits with Raymond. Um, but generally, we hear in this clip, the doctor define it as having some difficulties with communication and learning and understanding emotions and really adhering to routines and rituals. And of course, Charlie seems to kind of maybe not have heard about this diagnosis before, doesn't really know much about it. And we definitely get this kind of hint and very overtly throughout the movie that he just does not understand how Raymond's mind and how he communicates is just very different than what Charlie is expecting or used to. Exactly. And unfortunately, it doesn't really make much of an effort to better understand or to optimize communication, I would say, as well. Um, when we first see that Charlie goes into Raymond's room, you know, he's just kind of like touching his stuff and going through Raymond's things. And Raymond becomes very visibly anxious by this, you know, like, because the stranger is just like touching all of his belongings. At this point, we don't really know or we have no information about if Raymond remembers who Charlie is or knows who he is, right? So it's just like this guy that he may or may not remember, or at least hasn't seen in a very long time, who's just like invading his space, touching his things, um, making him seem very ill at ease. And let's actually listen to that clip because I think it's really helpful to kind of hear one, how Charlie's interacting with Raymond and then also how Raymond's responding. What are you asking me for? What is this? Why is he doing that? Who's on first? Whenever he gets nervous, he does who's on first. You know, from Abbott and Costello? Yeah, why? Why? It's his way of dealing with you touching things. His books and stuff. first. Paul, 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 Vern, VER, Pen. Of course, of course, these people are going to be here all day, Vern. This is an unannounced visit. Vern, this is, this, is, this, is, this is definitely not a weekend visit. Vern. He's getting anxious. Paul, it's okay, Paul, Ray. Vern. Put it back. He said not to touch the books. Not to touch books. You like Shakespeare, Ray? I don't know. Did you read all this? I don't know. You don't know? Vern. Did you read Macbeth? I don't know, Vern. You read Hamlet? I don't know, Vern. You read The Twelfth Night? Stop it. Yes. 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 You read all these stories that are in this book, and you don't know if you read the book. I don't know if you're in. You don't know. Maybe you better put it back. Yeah, so I think here we just have a, I think here is a good example of like what we are touching upon just before the clip is that Raymond appears to be very anxious. He kind of starts to quote um, who's on first um, when he is nervous. And this is something that reappears throughout the movie. Um, and we also see that Charlie isn't really being sensitive, even though people are telling him like, oh, he's just getting really nervous because you're changing his routine. You're touching his things. He just keeps going, right? He's just like, oh, tell me about this book. And he's like being very, for lack of a better word, just very insensitive, or at least not trying to take cues to make Raymond feel any more comfortable. <laughs> Everyone in the room is picking up on that Raymond is getting really distressed, that he's uncomfortable, that like his emotions are getting more and more intense as Charlie is rifling through his things and messing with his routine. Um, the person, the staff who works there is like, hey, why don't you stop? His girlfriend's even trying to get him to stop, and he just keeps doing it. And he admits later that part of why he's being a jerk to Raymond and being a little bit more insensitive is because he's frustrated and he's angry that no one told him that Raymond existed, that he is all the money that he thinks he's owed is going to Raymond, and that he's kind of taking it out on Raymond. And that's not an excuse for being a jerk. Definitely not an excuse. And I also would argue that I think that there, there are some undertones of almost jealousy as well, because throughout their interaction, Raymond does reveal that he has had ongoing relationship with the father. He goes and see the father, we know, at least weekly. Um, he gets to drive the car, which is, you know, um, if you remember from the movie, this is actually part of the reason why Charlie is estranged from his father, because the father wouldn't let him drive this car. They got into a big altercation kind of thing. And even in the will, I think the dad says, like, here, you can have the car that destroyed our relationship. And so I think there's also undertones of that as 
was like, you know, dad left Raymond the money. Dad had a relationship with Raymond. And so I think he also has some um, anger related to that possibly. Yeah. And so carrying on the trend of being a jerk, then what Charlie does is basically kidnaps um, Raymond from the institution, which just as, as a side note, we see the staff member watch them walk away and not do anything, which I found very disturbing. So this individual who works at the institution, who knows Raymond, who knows his habits, who knows how distressed he gets when routines are changed is just okay with him walking off with this basically a stranger who has probably nefarious um, like motivations. Yeah, definitely nefarious motivations. I think that there are a couple factors at play here. I thought the same exact thing, but then I realized Charlie asked his girlfriend to take the car like down. So I think when he, the employee is watching, he thinks they're just walking. And I think that's why then they hop in the car and run away. But who knows? I don't know. Maybe not. But that was one way I kind of rationalized that scene. Um, and then the second one is then they say like, well, you know, um, Raymond has always been here voluntarily. And we've talked about the difference between like involuntary and voluntary admissions at um, hospitals and institutions in the past. So that does mean that he, you know, they're they're not holding him there against his will or against anyone else's will. So that I guess technically he can leave with this stranger who is actually his brother, but he can just like leave with him. But it is a very upsetting scene. Like, why isn't anyone like doing anything as he just gets taken away? Or at least making sure Raymond understands that by leaving, this is what might happen. Or like, does Charlie have the you know, knowledge and the understanding of autism to be able to support and, you know, provide that for Raymond? And the answer is no. And we learned that very quickly. No, he does not. And like I mentioned, nor does he make an effort to do so. And no. um, And unfortunately, this behavior and this pattern for Charlie does persist. So, you know, we'll kind of come back at a couple points um, to the relationship between Charlie and Raymond. Um, You know, I think that is kind of one of the overarching, like, messages of the movie. Um, But for our, in, in our terms... Charlie continues to be very insensitive. We hear him call Raymond by several unkind names, uh, very derogatory terms. He even at one point grabs him by the neck and like pulls him. And, you know, Raymond becomes very upset. Raymond becomes very distressed. He even says like, serious injury 1988 and he kind of writes it down like his recording that at this time i was hurt you hurt me serious injury this charlie babbitt serious injury this are you fucking kidding me number number 18 in 1988 squeezed and pulled and hurt my neck in 1988 squeezed and pulled and hurt your neck in 1988 so we really do see that for a large chunk of the movie charlie is not treating um raymond well Yeah, and I found that very hard to watch. And I am curious, kind of like in 1988 when this movie came out, did people also view that in the same way of finding it very hard to watch someone like treat this man so poorly and so insensitively and kind of continue just to do things to push his buttons and calling him really rude names, talking about him like he's not there, like he can't understand what's going on. And um, so it just is really difficult to watch. And you know the whole time that part of why he's trying to get Raymond to L.A. is so that he can try to get custody over him so that he can take the money that he believes is his birthright or, you know, what he is owed. Yeah, and it's very exploitative in nature. We see that, you know, we obviously know that he wants the money. He's taking him across country. But never at one point does he stop and ask Raymond what he wants or even try to gauge if that's something that Raymond could, you know, give information about. He just kind of is doing things like for his own purposes, his own motivations. And the only time he even really does anything for Raymond is to get Raymond to calm down. 
or to yeah. like stop being in his words like annoying or frustrating that he might kind of give in to like the routine that Raymond wants or make sure that he has his like Kmart suit or watches the TV shows he wants to watch not because he's actually trying to be nice to Raymond but because he's frustrated and annoyed by him and wants to just have him stop being a nuisance to him. Yeah, it's still for his own purposes, right? He is doing right. that to get, like, what he wants. Like, let me help calm Raymond down so that I can still get my end goal. Exactly. And and I think the exploitative nature of this relationship definitely takes a big um, uptick when Charlie learns that Raymond has, quote-unquote, special abilities. And so he's gotten some inklings about this, right? So there's the scene where he's read the hotel phone book and then is able to recite any phone anyone's phone number from a through g he also is almost immediately able to count the number of toothpicks that have fallen on the floor and charlie is kind of interested in these things but doesn't spend too much time thinking about it until this doctor maybe i'm unsure what he is because he explicitly says he's not a psychiatrist so maybe he's just a general practitioner um he says he doesn't even really know what autism is. Um. <laughs> I think that speaks to the time, right? Because I think you're right. It's kind of confusing, like, who is this doctor? I got the sense that Charlie took Raymond to this doctor because he was getting annoyed by him. And he basically was like, hey, doctor, can you give him some kind of medication to calm him down? And the doctor is kind of like, uh, I'm not a psychiatrist and I don't know what autism is. Yeah. And he's like, I don't know what autism is, but let's, um, you know, I've read about this. Let's like see if he's really good at math. And then yeah. basically starts, like, testing him on, like, how quickly he can compute math problems in his head. Yeah, let's listen to that scene. I think that whole inter- whole interaction of them meeting Raymond, talking about autism, and then kind of doing these little experiments to see if he is a quick math study. Well, I'm not a psychiatrist, but I do know that his brain doesn't work like other people. Out of curiosity, does he have any special abilities? Well, I mean, he's got a pretty good memory. He can counts toothpicks huh toothpicks they spilled a box of toothpicks on the floor and they took one look at him knew exactly how many how many counted seconds huh right raymond yeah are you good with numbers yeah i read about this i'm gonna try something here you know how much 312 times 123 is three eight three seven six he's right what he's right he's right yeah Right. How much is 4,343 times 1,234? 5359262. He's a genius. That's right. He's a genius. So in this interaction, this is where Charlie is really first, like Dr. Fran mentioned, his eyes are, oh, his eyes are open to the fact that, oh, maybe I can get even more out of Raymond. I'm already trying to kidnap him and get the three million dollars but hey we're in nevada and we're gonna go to vegas now and i'm gonna see if he can use his super math abilities and his like memory abilities um to win some money which he does and again i'm thinking about the time that this movie came out is this one of the first scenes where we have someone with these kind of savant abilities counting cards um we see this in like the hangover movie um that alan's character has like a similar where he's able to count cards and use these abilities to like win like thousands of dollars at a you know casino table and then they catch him because they're like no one can be this smart um but in general 
you know, the scene is just a kind of a continuation of the exploitative nature of the relationship that Charlie and Raymond have. And I will say this is, I think, where in the, the I think in the movie, this is also supposed to be a turning point where the relationship between Charlie um, and Raymond is potentially shifting because we do see, and again, it's hard to know Charlie's full motivation, but we do see that he's actually making a more concerted effort to do things that make Raymond feel comfortable. Um, they actually have a moment in which Raymond actually shares that he does in fact remember who Charlie is and like has memories from their childhood as we know he has a very gifted memory um, and that it seems like there was actually a very tragic event that led to um, Raymond being unfortunately like taken out of the home and placed into the institution that we find him when Charlie and him meet Um, so it does seem like they're trying to start developing a relationship here but it's still hard to overlook the fact that he's like taking him there to win like $80,000 that he needs, again, because of this like weird Lamborghini scheme that I don't understand. Yeah, absolutely. I will say that scene that you're referring to is probably one of the only touching scenes that I found in the movie. Um, And it is a very touching scene. And I think it's known for being, you know, kind of one of the more heartwarming and important scenes of the movie because you learn where the Rain Man term comes from, which is very sweet. When I was a kid and I got scared, the Rain Man would come and sing to me. Rain what? You know, one of those imaginary childhood friends. What happened to him? Nothing, I just grew up. You think that's funny? Yeah, huh? funny rain, yeah, funny teeth. Why'd you say funny teeth? You what? said funny teeth, funny rain, man. Rain, man? Yeah. I said rain, man? Yeah, funny rain, man. Was I trying to say Raymond and it came out rain, man? Yeah, funny rain, man. You? You're the rain, man? You, you waved to me, bye-bye, rain, man, bye-bye. So you, you, you were the one that sang to me? Yeah. It is. And during that scene, actually, when Raymond says Rain Man, I kind of finally hear like, oh, yeah, it sounds like Raymond. And it like starts to come together. Um, And you find out it appears we don't know the whole story, but it seems like Raymond um, was maybe involved in an incident in which Charlie, when he was young, hot bath water and like that he was burned as a baby and you can see that it's very distressing memory for Raymond and then I think that Charlie also that impacts him and kind of learning like oh like this was someone who was in my life I do have these memories and he was maybe taken from me because maybe had some guilt related to like you know being involved in that um and in Vegas they have the scene where they dance together which I also thought was kind of sweet but then we see it kind of goes um awry when uh Charlie tries to aggressively hug Raymond yeah and Again, I think even there's those touching scenes and we see Charlie hopefully start to develop some empathy and some care and some connection with Raymond. And at the same time, he shouldn't have to have this like very sad story and this like personal memory and connection with him to treat him like a normal human being. Uh, Agreed. Yeah. Like it's like now that you know he's your brother and you are starting to love him, like now let's be nice. It's like let's start with kindness. Um, But, you know, kind of taking a step back, you know, we've talked a little bit about the relationship between Charlie and Raymond, but there's a big factor. And like we mentioned, really what we want to talk about today is um, autism. So let's kind of take a step back and learn a little bit more about Raymond and maybe what we see in in his character portrayal. And to help us get a better understanding of autism spectrum disorder, we are going to go ahead and bring back our diagnosis bingo.
So we're excited to be using Diagnosis Bingo to help us explain the diagnostic criteria and help us discuss the portrayal of Raymond's character and how accurately that fits with our current understanding of autism spectrum disorder. It is important to note that the criteria we're using are actually pretty new compared to when this movie came out. So what Raymond hypothetically would have been diagnosed with in 1988 is probably pretty different from what um, we're going to be talking about today, but we'll be using the most updated diagnostic criteria for autism spectrum disorder to talk about this. Yes, and as our listeners know, that is from the DSM-5, so the most updated version of our diagnostic manual. Um, and for autism spectrum disorder, there are really two main kind of groups um, in which the criteria come from. And these are not supposed to be exhaustive. So they actually give some like examples of things that we may see for someone who um, is on the autism spectrum disorder. But they're, you know, like a lot of the diagnosis we discussed, there are a lot of nuances, there are a lot of differences in the unique and individual people that are on the autism spectrum. So we just want to make that known, but we're going to go ahead and cover what those criteria are, and then we'll see if and how Raymond fits into those. And I will say it is a pretty unique diagnosis in that way. The majority of diagnoses we've talked about on the podcast or the other ones in the DSM-5 are a little bit more specific, and we do think a lot of our diagnoses as being on a spectrum, right? Um, And the autism spectrum disorder in particular only has these two main kind of buckets of symptoms, and then within that there are a ton of different examples of what that might look like because it is a very complex diagnosis, and it's also um, very diverse in the presentations that we might see. So even though we might talk through Raymond's diagnosis today and how he might fit with that. Someone could have the same diagnosis and look and present completely differently. Very true. And we're also talking about Raymond, who is an adult. So there can be a lot of differences in like children, teenagers, young adults, adults. Um, There can be even differences in like genders or, you know, different sexes. So there can be a lot of varying factors here. So to start off, the first kind of main bucket, as we're calling it, for autism spectrum disorder is persistent deficits in social communication and social interaction across multiple contexts. And so that means like, you know, um, if the contexts are like with your family, with friends, at work, in school, whatever those may be. And this can be seen um, either currently or in the past um, by certain examples. And so we're going to go through some of these examples and ways in which Raymond might fit with those. So one of the examples of how this might look is having difficulties with social emotional reciprocity. So essentially that means that back and forth conversation style um, and, you know, how much someone is able to engage in that and sometimes having difficulty with like the normal approach behavior of like initiating a conversation or kind of reduced interest, not asking a lot of follow up questions, um, things like that. Yeah, and so for this one, Dr. Fran, like in Rain Man, and your kind of take on the movie, do you think we see Raymond coming up to people, initiating conversations? Do we see Raymond asking people questions about themselves or expressing interest in like their day or things that pertain to others? No, and I think that is, you know, really highlighted in like the first interaction with Raymond. So we already played the clip, but really that's kind of why Charlie and his girlfriend are a little bit confused in their first interaction with him because he somewhat answers their question, but not really. Or sometimes he just kind of scripts or just continues saying something like the address. 10961 Beechcrest Street, Cincinnati, Ohio. Or the type, the details of the car. 949 Buick Roadmaster, straight eight, fireball eight. Only 8,095 production models. And doesn't really interact in a kind of typical way that we would expect someone to engage in that conversation. I agree. So I think that Raymond would get a 
bingo on this one because we do see that his communication skills and kind of his social interaction, it's very one-sided. We don't see that kind of back and forth. We don't hear him really ever like sharing feelings, um, talking to others, asking questions. Um, even the conversations that he does have, they're very kind of like one-sided and it's just like his interest or once he wants to share, right? There's none of that like we talked about kind of going back and forth. So I do think in terms of like that example and um, under this first example in this bucket that he would meet for that one, meet criteria for that one. And so another example of difficulties in this bucket with the social and communication and interaction is having difficulties with nonverbal communicative behaviors that are typically used in social interaction. So this might be um, in particular having difficulties with like making eye contact during conversations, body language, having difficulty understanding gestures. Um, So what do we think about this one, Dr. Sam? So this is another one that I do think we see Raymond displaying. So throughout the movie, it was very notable to me that he does not make eye contact with other characters or other people. There's even the scene when he's dancing with Charlie in Vegas that we talked about where at one point, Charlie's trying to get him to like, look up, look up, look up. And even though he looks up, we see him, he's kind of like looking past or he's kind of looking around. Um, So we don't see him kind of making eye contact, which is one of uh, the things that we might expect. Um, And then what do you think about uh, Dr. Fran in turn like any of the other body language or other like use of gestures things of that nature I think that's a good question I would say in general it does seem that it is harder for Raymond to interpret other people's verbal and nonverbal cues right he's not always in tune with when Charlie's angry until he's yelling at him or grabbing him Um, so he may not be picking up on some of those nonverbal cues that other people are giving him in the environment very true and I think a very like kind of as we talked about like maybe happens in these movies a more hyperbolic example of not picking up on nonverbals could be the scene when Raymond walks into the room when Charlie and Suzanne are having sex and doesn't even realize and kind of you know he's very intrigued by TV which we'll get to in a second but he just sits down and starts watching TV and doesn't realize that it's a situation that he might not want to be a part of What is that? I think Raymond is in the room. What? Raymond, are you in here? Charlie, Charlie Babbitt. Well, get out! Uh oh. And so the final example, and again, this is not an exhaustive list, but these are types of things that might come up in this bucket of symptoms. Um, The last one that we'll talk about is having difficulties developing, maintaining, or understanding relationships uh, more broadly. And this might be having difficulty like adjusting how we interact with people based on the context that we're in. It could also be difficulties making friends or kind of engaging in like imaginative play if we're talking about for kids um, and just kind of a general absence of interest in others or in peers. So this is another one that I am going to say Raymond does meet for. We don't see that Raymond really, like we talked about, he already is kind of lacking in that reciprocity for his communication. So we don't really see that he's establishing um, relationships with others. Um, At one point when he's at the institution and Charlie first appears, Vern, who's in the room as well, even makes a comment that Raymond wouldn't notice if he left and that he doesn't really show an interest in kind of bonding or making relationships with others. Known for nine years. If I left down tomorrow and didn't say Uh-oh. goodbye, he'd never notice. He wouldn't notice if you lived. I'm not sure, but I don't think people are his first priority. So I think overall we do kind of see that he has that difficulty in kind of making and maintaining relationships with others. 
I will say it is a little bit harder to tell in terms of the interest piece. Um, and of course, Vern makes that comment. And, you know, maybe he wouldn't notice if Vern left. And at the same time, I think we learn like towards the end that Raymond does have a more complex understanding of relationships and really remembers uh, Charlie and seemed to have this very protective kind of comforting relationship with him when he was a child of like singing to him. And so that relationship did seem important to him. So he does seem to have like that interest in that capacity to be able to develop and form those relationships. So I think that's important to note that like there seems to be some level of that with Raymond. Agreed. And relationships look different for different people. So, you know, we I, I think he has these deficits. It's not natural. It's not easy for him to make or approach or maintain these relationships. But I don't think like um, actually the doctor at the very end when they're with like for the legal proceedings, they're meeting with a specialist who's going to kind of weigh in on what he thinks is an appropriate setting for Raymond. He kind of makes the comment about like, he doesn't have connections, he doesn't have relationships. And I remember thinking that's very unfair. Like, have you even asked him how he feels about relationships, how he connects with others? So I do think Raymond has connections. They may be different Mm -hmm. from what you might expect or what other people might experience, but I do think he has those connections. He does have some relationships. Um, We don't know the exact level of interest because we haven't asked him, but there definitely are difficulties or deficits in establishing those. Yeah, absolutely. So to kind of summarize, we are talking within the context of these social communication and social interaction um, deficits or difficulties. And we do see Raymond seem to hit a lot of these. So having difficulty with that social reciprocity, having difficulties with eye contact or nonverbal communication, and then difficulties maintaining or developing and understanding relationships. And I also want to note, it's important to kind of think about a lot of the language that's used in the diagnosis talks about like deficits or challenges or difficulties. There is a movement to talk about this in the context of that these you know, people with autism spectrum disorder are different. And that doesn't mean that they're bad or that they're wrong. Um, and unfortunately, that's just the language that is used in the DSM-5 at this time. So we also just want to acknowledge that there are ways that individuals with autism are able to develop relationships, and it might just be different than what we expect or, you know, kind of historically the relationships have been developed. Of course. And this is, again, a spectrum. There is a range. Um, and there can be different strengths. We always like to take a strengths-based approach. So right now we're talking about some things that may be challenging for people when it comes to social interaction and social relationships. These are some of the challenges, but there are also going to be many strengths in each individual. So this is the kind of criteria that you need to get the diagnosis. But then again, kind of like moving forward in life and treatment, we also always want to kind of think about like the the positive strengths that people have as well. Um, and really the goal of this diagnosis, bingo, is to kind of better understand because not everyone knows what an autism spectrum diagnosis diagnosis entails. So kind of going through the technical criteria to get a better understanding. Um, And really the goal today is just to kind of see like based on these criteria, like where does Raymond fit and what might we expect? And some of these things Raymond falls into and we might see it very differently with other people as well. And so thinking, taking all that into account, um, thinking about the second bucket of symptoms that we'll run through. And so the second bucket of symptoms focuses on restricted, repetitive behaviors, interests or activities. Um, And again, we've got several examples that this might look like. So one of them might be stereotyped or repetitive motor movements, use of objects or speech. And there are a few different examples of this that I would say Raymond seems to fit for. Yes, definitely. So let's start off with speech. So one of the main things I think that we see with Raymond is something called echolalia. And so what this is, is really the repetition of phrases that someone else says. So it's like you hear someone say it and then you echo it back. And we definitely see a lot of examples of this with Raymond. There are times like when he'll, uh, for example, one of the first scenes where we see Raymond feeling very distressed is when 
Charlie is trying to get him on a plane. And so he gets very distressed. He starts, like, I think, covering his ears, saying he doesn't want to go on the plane. Charlie finally agrees, like, okay, we're not going to fly. We're not going to fly. And then Raymond starts saying, no fly, no fly. So he kind of just is repeating back, like, the last part of what um, Charlie is saying. Not going to fly, okay? No flying. Not going to fly. No flying. Kill me, Ray. I just want you to know you are killing me, man. No flying. No flying. No flying. It can also be like vocalization, so it can be words, but it can also be sounds. So actually another example of this is we see in the sex scene is when he's hearing those noises, he's kind of um, mimicking that sound with his voice as well, kind of doing the same like tone, the same sound. Um, and so we do see Raymond kind of engaging in Ikalalia throughout the movie. And so another piece is the motor, the motor piece, so the movement. Um, and specifically, we do see him engage in some motor stereotypies. So these are rhythmic, repetitive, fixed, predictable, but purposeless movements. So an example might be we see him wringing his hands a lot. Um, so there's not necessarily a purpose to it. Um, however, it's like very rhythmic and repetitive. Um, other examples that we don't see Raymond necessarily engaging in, but that can be common are like flapping or waving hands or hand flapping, head nodding rocking. We do actually see him engage in rocking sometimes, particularly when he's distressed, potentially as a self-soothing behavior. Um, but we definitely see these motor stereotypies with Raymond. Agreed. And then one of the other things I kind of left off in the speech is we do hear him use a lot of what we call like scripted speech. So, you know, we hear him kind of repeat who's on first. We hear him say that a lot. Who's on first? I'm asking you, you know, who's on first. You know, Ray. Man's name. Ray, this is not, yeah. it's not a riddle. Yeah. You know the fellow's name? Yeah. Who's playing first you know what I mean? Game? You're never going to figure who's out who's on first, first base because who is on first base? Yeah. That's a joke, right? It's comedy. All I'm trying to find out is what's the guy's name on first base. And there are other things, too, like when he keeps saying, like, I'm, a very, I'm an excellent driver. Of course, I'm an excellent driver. You know how to drive? Yeah. So he has certain phrases that he will kind of use in a repetitive manner as well, and I think that that would fall under this bucket, too. We don't see this as much with Raymond that I can think of, um, but another common example of this kind of like stereotyped or repetitive movements would also be like lining up toys or like organizing things in a very specific way and it has to be in a certain order. We might have seen this more if we were like in his room at, at Bulbrook um, that, you know, his cards are organized, seem to be organized in a certain order or things like that. We do see a little bit of that maybe. I wonder if this would fall under, you know, how he has to have the bed by the window. He has to have like the certain tray. So he does set up things in a certain way, like his little, the pens. That's true. Um, so we might see a little bit of that when he's going from um, hotel to its hotel. And it seems like setting things up in the proper way helps to reduce some of that anxiety that or that distress that he has, like with all of the change. Which transitions nicely. I would say he definitely seems to meet criteria for this kind of bucket, the repetitive movements and um, speech, and kind of transitions us into this next, which is insistent on sameness and inflexible adherence to routines and ritualized patterns of behavior. So that kind of is a lot of overlap between some of the things that we just talked about, too. Early on in the movie, we hear that the doctor even presents this as part of uh, or as one of the, the difficulties that Raymond does experience when he's explaining what autism is to Charlie. Um and this can really kind of manifest or look like extreme distress with even small changes, difficulties with transitions, having very rigid ways of thinking about things, um, or having to take the same route or eat the same food every day. So that's sounding very familiar to me. So we definitely see with Raymond there is this insistence and a focus on things being the same. So 
every day he'll kind of mention like, you know, like Tuesday is um, fish sticks. I don't know if that's the correct one, but like Tuesday is fish sticks and pancakes and it has to have the syrup. So he has a very specific way that he likes to eat and he has certain meals that he likes to eat. And if he doesn't get it that way, he does seem to be um, anxious and distressed by that. And then we also see that with his TV shows, which again, kind of fall into a few different of these examples, but that he has certain times that he needs to watch Jeopardy or Wheel of Fortune or the court drama. One minute to Wapner. One minute to Wapner. One minute to Wapner. One minute to Wapner. They are in there making legal history, Ray. Legal history. I'm very sorry about that. That man right there is my brother. And if he doesn't get to watch people's court in about 30 seconds, he's going to throw a fit right here in your porch. Um, And so that he kind of has that routine. And then he also has like lights out at 11 p.m. Um, and that he wants to stay up till 11 or needs to go to bed if it's 11 o'clock. Exactly. So we do see a lot of this insistence on having things the same a certain way. We also do see, like we mentioned, the distress with the changes. So, you know, like we talked about when Charlie first shows up and is touching his things or moving things around, he becomes very distressed by that, tries not to look at it, tries to walk away. Um, One of the things I will mention that I kind of felt like wasn't a good fit in the movie is that if there is distress at very small changes, kind of the fact that Charlie took Raymond and like kidnapped him and took him on this road trip, I think would have caused a lot more distress than what we see. But of course, the whole movie is about the road trip, so he has to be kidnapped. But, um, you know, we see the distress in other little changes. Yeah, I had the same thought, Dr. Sam, of like, you are making, you are basically changing everything, everything about this person's routine. Um, and there, he's getting, we do see him get distressed quite a bit about some of these bigger things like getting on a plane or, you know, some of these things that also bring up anxiety for him. But I agree that we might expect, understandably someone who is very routine oriented very rigid in what they do every day to have a lot more difficulty regulating when they are completely taken out of that environment with like no expectation and like no preparation i would have thought that as well especially because where he comes from they did a really nice job of keeping that routine so it's not only like he has this routine but the less he kind of breaks from that he's not going to have experience kind of having to manage that distress right because he didn't have any interruptions and then he has this like very huge interruption and just and just kind of disrupts everything i will say that raymond's character does demonstrate great strength in that way like even though he's undergoing these big changes and transitions he's pretty resilient he's coping pretty well with some of the bigger things and then of course if then it's like okay i'm already kind of managing all of this change and then i just want my pancakes then you can get kind of a little bit more upset about that change. I could definitely see that happening. And so another example in this category is also rigid thinking patterns. So we've talked about this within the context of the routines, but we also see this in kind of like rules or kind of like expectations. So he might say like, we don't go out when it rains. And that's just like, a rigid rule that we have and we don't break. Exactly. I think another good example of this one is when we see Raymond crossing the street and then all of a sudden the sign says don't walk and so he takes that very literally. He stops walking in the middle of traffic and then cars start honking at him. A man gets out to kind of yell at him to cross the road. Um, But he, you know, that's very black and white. It says don't walk so I'm not going to walk. Another example that we can see under this bucket is highly restricted and fixated interests um, that are kind of above average of what we might expect in terms of intensity or focus. So like being very attached, very preoccupied with something in particular. Um, And we definitely see this with Raymond, I would think. Yeah, and... There might be several different areas that he seemed to have, seems to have this restricted fixated interest on. So definitely with the TV shows, he seems very, you know, we've got the rigid 
routine and then also kind of like an extreme interest in these specific TV shows that he likes to watch. Yes, he pulls out his notebook like and he kind of tracks I think like the results or what they say. I don't know exactly what he's tracking, but we see that when he's watching these TV shows, he's keeping a very extensive record of what he's watching. Um, and he also likes to talk about them. So it's like talking about them, wanting to watch them. The other thing we see um, are with the baseball cards and statistics. Yeah, so we see that anytime, you know, someone mentions a baseball player, he's able to rattle off all of their statistics in terms of like their batting average. I don't know enough about baseball to know other things that you might say <laughs> besides batting average, but he knows all the statistics related to each baseball player. And we see from his room that he has a collection of like all the baseball cards. So that seems to potentially be another restrictive interest of his. Ted Kluzewski. 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 Ted Kluzewski. Big clue, first base. He played for Cincinnati. Of course, of course he was traded for Defondi, 1957. Lifetime batting average, That's very true. And kind of goes along the lines with his memory. He knows like every day, like what pitcher is pitching what day and playing when. And that's actually how Charlie lures him away from the facility. Because he's like, hey, let's go to LA and watch like the Angels play. Or I think it's the Angels, the Dodgers. <laughs> Which clearly we're really big baseball fans. <laughs> They're both in LA, I think, but it's whichever team he likes. <laughs> <laughs> So the final um, example of symptoms that can fall into this category is hyper or hyperreactivity. So kind of over or under activity in response to sensory input um, or unusual interest in sensory aspects of the environment. And we do see more of the former in terms of, you know, having more of a hyperreactivity to certain sensory input that he might be receiving in the environment. Yes, and with Raymond, this is more of an adverse response to specific, I think, like sounds and textures. Um, so we do see that he appears to have a sensitivity to loud noises and like flashing lights, which is something that we um, can expect or hear from people like on the autism spectrum. We see this in the movie during the scene when they are on the highway and all of a sudden there are cop cars everywhere. He notices that there is a car accident, so he gets very distressed. And then on top of that, there's like the noises and the lights, and he seems to be very um, sensitive, very distressed about that leaves the car and kind of walks to the side so it seems like one of the ways in which that might bother him and we see it a few other times sometimes when charlie yells yeah. we'll see him put his hands over his ears like that sound is just too much for him in that moment um he doesn't and then there's the scene where the fire alarm goes off and that's really distressing for him and he's banging his head against the window trying to get out and can't unlock the door and it's just really kind of escalating and very distressed by that sound Exactly. So we do see that adverse response to those sounds. And then in terms of like texture and touch there throughout the movie, we notice that Raymond does not like to be touched. So even in the again, going back to the airport scene, Charlie kind of has Raymond just grab onto his suitcase so they can kind of walk through without grabbing him. Um, when he's going to teach him how to dance, he even says, you know, I have to touch you. He allows that. But then when Charlie goes in to hug Raymond, um, I think it was a very honestly like aggressive hug from my standpoint because he just kind of jumps on him and it's unexpected um, and that also causes um, Raymond to feel distressed. Yeah, absolutely. And I will say one thing I kind of liked about the movie in terms of the like actual production quality of it is some of those scenes we do see, especially with the sound, that they try to kind of like heighten it in terms of like almost like trying to get you to experience what it might feel like to have that sensory overload. Um, and that's, I think, kind of commonly used nowadays when, you know, trying to portray this kind of overload of sensory input. Um, but I did think that was something like kind of like a little nuance that I liked about the movie. That's true. Like they really have the lights get like brighter or kind of take up the screen. The noise gets louder. Mm, yeah, I didn't notice yeah. that. That's a that's a good catch. 
Yeah, so again, kind of recapping that overall, that second bucket, it seems like we were getting a lot of the bingos on there. So um, like we talked about, Raymond does demonstrate the restricted and repetitive patterns of behavior as well as the stereotyped repetitive motor movements and the echolalia or repetitive speech that we talked about. We also talked about the insistence on sameness, kind of being inflexible, really wanting kind of things to be a certain way, having the rigid thinking patterns, and then the restricted and fixated interest. And then lastly, kind of that adverse response to certain stimuli or sensory input. So in terms of our bingo and looking at the criteria, Raymond would meet for that um, criteria as well. Yeah. So in terms of the like formal criteria, it does seem like he would meet based on that. There are a few additional symptoms or things that we often see can go along with autism spectrum disorder. So oftentimes individuals with ASD or autism spectrum disorder also have intellectual impairment or a language impairment. Um, we don't have the data on Raymond in terms of what his intellectual um, functioning is or his language functioning, um, but that is something that we often do see um, as co-occurring with autism spectrum disorder. Mm-hmm. Um, sometimes we can also see, I know we talked about like the different motor components, but we can see motor deficits as well. So differences in gait, which is kind of the way someone walks, there can be clumsiness or other difficulties with motor uh, movement. Another one which I think we do see in Raymond's portrayal is that sometimes self-injury can occur within the context of autism spectrum disorder. So headbanging is what we see typically with Raymond or kind of hitting his own head. Um, and typically this is more common in children and adolescents, but also um, when someone is dealing with a higher level of distress. Um, that's kind of like a way of trying to respond to that in the moment. And then one of the things we also see with Raymond is that adolescents and adults on the autism spectrum um, are prone to anxiety and depression. So we see more with Raymond anxiety. So we talked about, you know, the things that seem to make him feel anxious or distressed. Um, I think throughout the movie, we noticed that there's like an overall fear of danger. So he's very afraid of flying because he states like, that planes have crashed and that people have died. He gets very afraid for his safety when he thinks the road is dangerous after he sees the car accident. Um, So there do seem to be certain things that Raymond uh, feels very anxious about. And so we've done kind of a general overview of kind of the autism criteria, some other things that might be associated with the diagnosis. We won't get super detailed into how to diagnose autism, um, but we did just want to make a note that this is a pretty unique diagnosis in the context of it does require a lot of specialized training for individuals to be able to provide a diagnosis of autism. With the majority of diagnoses we've talked about, right, we can't just make a formal diagnosis based off of a movie or even just based off like a 20-minute conversation with someone. All of our assessments procedures are pretty in-depth, but for autism in particular, the procedures are pretty um, complex and, you know, pretty detailed um, because really wanting to make sure that we're accurately diagnosing this disorder. Exactly. And so oftentimes what that will entail is a very extensive history. You know, Dr. Fran and I love a good history. We talk about it all the time. (laughs) But for autism spectrum disorder, very important that you get very extensive history. You meet with parents. Sometimes you talk to teachers, other important people. Um, If it's a child in the child's life or if it's an adult getting information from their history as well. And then there will be testing, including assessment, which are standardized tests looking at cognitions, development, and language. Um, And on top of that, there is this one assessment called the Autism Diagnostic Observation Schedule Second Edition, which is thought to be one of the gold standards of assessment. So that is one of those evaluations that Dr. Fran mentioned does take a specialist. So you have to have special training and I think even certification to do do these observations, do this test, and make a formal uh, diagnosis. 
And so, you know, a provider like Dr. Sam and I, or like other providers, you know, at baseline might be able to screen for autism or do some of those like cognitive tests, developmental tests, get that history. And then oftentimes, like what I would do is refer out to someone who is an autism expert or who specializes in that to be able to really make sure that the diagnosis fits for that person. Exactly. And again, if it's with children, like a pediatrician or a developmental pediatrician might also be involved and can help with referrals and things of that nature as well. There are a lot of good organizations. And even depending on where people live, if you look into certain hospitals, they'll have resources related to um, whether it is getting an assessment for autism or getting resources and supports for people with autism. And so transitioning a little bit from the autism diagnosis, just kind of a note, an interesting note, we don't hear anywhere in that autism diagnosis that says that someone has very specialized abilities and is able to memorize math problems very quickly, or, you know, um, kind of recite or, you know, do all these things that we see portrayed in this kind of typical savant way. Wait, Dr. Fran, do you mean to tell me that that doctor who was like, wait, does he have any special abilities, that that was the wrong question to ask? Yeah, I would say so. (laughs) The doctor, like we mentioned, was maybe not the most informed provider in terms of knowing about the autism diagnosis. Um, So savant syndrome is not actually a formal diagnosis in the Diagnostic and Statistical Manual. Um, It is very rare, and it is characterized by having a remarkable talent in one or more domains. We did briefly talk about this when in the Queen's Gambit episode, kind of comparing the term savant to prodigy. Um, But the idea with savant syndrome is that it's having this really specialized ability within the context of having some kind of developmental disorder, including autism spectrum disorder. So that was one that is one criticism of this movie is that it did kind of popularize this belief in this myth that everyone with autism has savant syndrome or savant abilities. Um, And that's just not true. Exactly. And so one of the things I think we'll touch upon this at the end as well, this movie did get a lot of credit for kind of putting autism on the screen and making people more aware of it. Um, and, you know, I think I've even read things that said, like, it led to just an overall level of awareness and even some, like, increased interest and funding and things of that nature that are obviously very important. However, along the same lines, because it was such a popular movie and because really until, like, more recently, there haven't been such other, like, large kind of block buster type or very like widespread portrayals this has been the idea that everyone might think of when they think of autism like oh autism is raymond babbitt and that means also having savant like abilities Right. And unfortunately, there's just not enough research to really nail down exactly how common the savant-like abilities are within the autism community. Um, There's been some numbers thrown out that like one in 10 people with autism have savant syndrome. Um, That seems pretty high. Um, And then kind of on the flip side, there's been some research saying that the majority of people who do have savant syndrome have autism. Um, So but again, it's just kind of unclear exactly like how common this occurs within the autism community. Um, and But what we do know is that it is a pretty rare and that it is not, and the majority of individuals with autism do not have these savant-like criteria. When it comes to these savant skills, we can see them in a variety of areas. And so what the literature or the, the research that we were able to find, and again, there is not much on this, but it does state that it's usually in like art, music, math, um, calendar calculations, or memory recall of facts, events, and numbers. So I think with Raymond, we do see they really kind of portray it as having the savant abilities and like the quick math skills, like fast math facts, um, and then the very impressive memory recall. 
And so if we had a diagnosis graveyard for things that were never diagnoses, we would put savant syndrome in there just as a note that it is not a formal diagnosis and never has been that I'm I'm aware of within the context of the DSM. I agree. (laughs) And then so now that we have better context, just like related to Raymond, autism spectrum disorder, the savant syndrome, let's kind of circle back and you know, we've kind of gone on this journey with Charlie and Raymond, and as they end their road trip, how does their relationship kind of end up shaking out? Well, as we alluded to earlier, Charlie does seem to come around and develop this empathy and this care and this compassion for Raymond, and, you know, kind of in the end realizes that he doesn't care as much about the money as he does about Raymond. And it's supposed to be this very touching and like, wow, (laughs) Charlie has grown so much, and he really understands Raymond now. And I think that's supposed to be what the big takeaway is. I can give you my qualms with my impressions later. Um, But... The kind of movie ends with him, you know, letting Raymond go and letting him go back to the institution where presumably he's going to be better off and better taken care of. Exactly. I think we're supposed to kind of get the impression that Charlie has backed off the money now, right? Like his relationship with Raymond is what's really important. And I do think that scene where Raymond accidentally kind of causes like the smoke and the fire alarm goes off. I think he realizes in that moment as well that he is not as well equipped um, to help support Raymond. And I think he can kind of acknowledge his own faults is that he also might not be as able to even become the supportive person that would most likely benefit Raymond, right? And so he, I think in a positive way, he does appear to want to keep a positive relationship with him and hopefully learn how to be more supportive. Um, but I, I agree that it's hard to not be suspicious about everyone's motives when, you know, they're all kind of vying for $3 million and Raymond is kind of stuck in the middle. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. So has this kind of ambiguous ending of you're hopeful that yeah. Raymond goes back to this place that he feels comfortable, he's mm-hmm. developed a routine, and that him and Charlie, you know, maintain this this brotherly relationship and it continues to grow. So we can all hope that that's how it ends up after the movie ends. Dr. Fran and I were chatting just before recording as well that there is some controversy regarding the ending because what is painted to be a positive ending, you know, Charlie learns and he lets go of Raymond so Raymond can go and live a better life is controversial because that quote unquote better life involves him being institutionalized for the remainder of his life, you know, um, Uh, what appears to be the remainder of his life in terms of the movie. Um, And of course, in our more like modern times, it is not expected or, you know, is not oftentimes the preferred treatment that people with autism or autistic people are going to be institutionalized or have to be institutionalized, that that's a level of support that they need. Um, So that's a very controversial ending too, that that's like what the movie's portraying best for Raymond at the time. Right. And it's hard. And I think the only other way that the movie could have ended that would more accurately portray like nowadays what we would want or want or expect to happen is that Charlie ends up spending a lot of time really trying to orient himself to like learning a lot more about autism, spending a lot more time with Raymond, maybe in the institution at first, Mm -hmm. trying to get to know him, understand his habits, understand how they can interact better, how they can communicate better. um, And then eventually setting up a system where he's able to have Raymond come live with him and provide that structure and that support and um, there'd probably be a lot of therapy for Raymond and Charlie (laughs) involved in terms of being able to set them up so that Raymond could live independently or live with family or you know kind of have a different um, long-term situation. And again everyone's situation is different and there are varying levels of need for support in this community we understand that Um, and things are much more nuanced than in the movie where it's like the only option is that 
Raymond goes to live with Charlie, who may be ill-equipped at this time to best support him or go back to the institution. Um, so we get the ending that the movie uh, unfortunately gives us related to those only two options. <laughs> and now it's time for our PH Don'ts. This is not a safe place. Sorry, are you, are you gonna like keep touching me like that? That guy is a total loon. But I cannot talk about my clients. I cannot talk about my clients. That's it. Great, great job, everybody. Thank you. Do know what autism is. Don't let someone's long-lost brother slyly steal them from a hospital. Don't yell, what's wrong with you, at your patient in the waiting room. Or ever. Don't ask what special abilities your autistic patient has. Don't give your autistic or any patient a math quiz during your checkup. And so that brings us to our overall impressions of Rain Man, this classic movie, Dr. Fran. What are your hot takes <laughs> or takes? <laughs> How'd you know it was going to be a hot take? Did I, did I give it away? <laughs> um, okay. So in the context of this being 1988, I can understand why this movie had a lot of attention and critical acclaim for its time. I appreciate that it did what it could to bring attention to autism and to a diagnosis that not a lot of people knew much about. I think nowadays there are a lot of things that are problematic with it just in terms of the way – I think to some extent we understand why Charlie is a bit of a jerk throughout the film and is just very self-centered and the way he interacts with Raymond and maybe that's a metaphor for how society treats people with autism and that the more we can come to understand and accept people with autism, the more we can show compassion. But I think there could have been more done, um, I think, in in terms of that relationship. So I thought it was a good movie. Probably won't watch it again. I I agree with a lot of what you said, Dr. Fran. Like, I feel like for its time, I also appreciate. Like, this this movie really did do a lot to bring attention and awareness to autism, which at the time was very misunderstood or not even on people's radars. Um, you know, as it is Autism Awareness Month, I feel like it is appropriate to cover a movie that did kind of um, – kind of help progress things in that way we also know that there's also a greater shift for going beyond awareness and also now moving towards acceptance of autistic people and of autism which i think is very important and i think there are some other media portrayals maybe one that we'll be discussing soon that have done a bit more to kind of help facilitate that acceptance along with just the awareness piece and we talked a little bit about the problematic nature of because raymond's character was autistic savant that also that led to some misconceptions about autism and of course that's the case with a lot of the movies and tv shows we cover is they do a diagnosis but then along with that come these misconceptions and things that can be incorrect as well i thought it was funny at certain parts you know i could see why they won awards for it at the time as well um and i think you're right they try to set it up where okay at the end we like can be more compassionate and empathetic and have a positive relationship with Raymond um but it would have been nice to see more positive interactions and relationships throughout i agree and now it's time for our DSM5 diagnosing shows and movies i'm going to jump in quickly so sam doesn't make me do the rating first <laughs> dr sam what would you rate rain man this one is tough as you all know i tend to be a harsh rater I will say that as we discussed, many of the diagnostic criteria that they portrayed with Raymond are appropriate and do match on to the criteria that we see in the official autism spectrum disorder diagnosis, as we talked about in the current formulation. Um, so I do think it gets points for that. Like there were some very accurate um, ways in which autism was portrayed through Raymond's character. 
I think that, you know, the savant nature of it kind of opened up those misconceptions. And I could be wrong. I did not research this as well as I should have. But I also don't know if autistic individuals were involved in the making of the movie at all, giving consultation or having their voice heard as well. And so we're big on representation here. And so as it is a a more neurotypical person playing someone who is more neurotypically diverse, I feel like it gets dinged for that. I say I'm going to give it a... It's a lot of stalling. I know. I think I'll go... I want to say a two, but I feel like that's harsh because I think the criteria was accurate in a lot of ways. So I think I want to say a three, um, but dinging it, like I mentioned, for not having like autistic individuals be involved or have their voices heard as well in the portrayal or any of the making of it. Um, and then for the kind of like savant nature, kind of giving it that like misperception of people with autism always having that as well. So I think I'll go with a three if I'm being kind of kind and thinking about what it did for its time as well yeah i would say that's fair dr fran (laughs) i was also leaning towards a three and i will i actually did read that um so we mentioned that there was a consultant on the movie who was kind of specialized in autism and specifically in um savant syndrome correlating with um autism spectrum disorder and apparently dustin hoffman did work with a lot of individuals with autism in the making or at least trying to understand like the behaviors and, you know, kind of some of the nuances. Um, I don't know if I would really count that as like taking their voice into consideration. It's not like they were consultants. It was like, let me try to copy these people so that I can more accurately portray that, which feels a little bit ickier. Um, yeah. So that's a little bit harder in that area. But anyway, so I would agree with what Dr. Sam said. I would say a lot of the diagnosis of autism was seemed to be somewhat accurately portrayed. It's really hard because like we've talked about multiple times, it is a spectrum. So for this very specific person that's being portrayed in this movie, it does seem to somewhat accurately portray that. And there's also so many other iterations or examples of what autism might look like um, that we don't see in the context of this one movie. Um, I would also say like, For the time, maybe this was accurate, but all the interactions with the mental health and um, even the physical health providers was just really hard and like wishing there was, you know, a more um, educated and kind of understanding approach in their interactions with Raymond. So I'll ding it for that as well. I agree with that. I wonder for the time if that's how it was, though. Like if doctors like it wasn't just like regular people that didn't know about autism. It was also the providers. You know, this is something that still is highly specialized. So that's um, very unfortunate for that time that autistic people did have to encounter that. Um, So still the awareness piece is big. I think we've come a long way, hopefully from 88, um, 1988, I should say, because we're not in the 1900s anymore. So we've come a long way from 1988 and we still have a long way to go in terms of these types of things. Um, I think there's been some modern day dialogue around this with a a more recent movie that came out that kind of, you know, 32 years later, kind of falling into the same pitfalls of not really having autistic people represented in the movies that are portraying people with autism. So I think it's kind of uh, interesting that even though all this time has passed and there has been strides made in certain ways that we're still having the same issue. Right. And I would like to say that the way Charlie interacts with Raymond is also a product of the time that this movie was made. And unfortunately, individuals with autism still do face like discrimination and people not understanding them and treating them poorly. And um, I hope that the more I mean, that's kind of the point of part of why we're doing this podcast and just general a lot of these efforts to bring awareness to the diagnosis so people can better understand and appreciate and accept people who are on the spectrum as opposed to 
you know, being jerks the whole movie. Raymond, am I using you? Am I using you, Raymond? Yeah. Shut up! Yeah, shame on you, Charlie. <laughs> I just am not a Charlie fan, guys. You can, you can tell I'm not a Charlie fan. <laughs> He's not a very redeeming character for much of the movie, so I don't think that's too hot of a take. <laughs> All right. Sessions up for Raid Man. So don't forget to check out social media for our monthly Freudian Scripter Spotlight. We have a new one coming up this month. And please leave a review on any platform. And as long as you send us a screenshot or let us know, you will get a free Freudian Script sticker. They're running out fast, so you better get yours soon. Get them while they're hot. <laughs> also, don't forget to check out our website for resources and a glossary of new terms. We covered a lot of new terms today, so definitely check out the website to learn a little bit more. We'd also love to hear your thoughts on the movie and to hear what questions you have about psychology and what movies or TV shows we should put on our couch next. Join us next session for Atypical. We're continuing, like we talked about, with honoring Autism Awareness Month and spreading and promoting autism acceptance. We will at, we will also have a very special guest. And so today we focused mostly, like we talked about, on the diagnosis of autism spectrum disorder. So in our next session with Atypical, we'll be getting into some of the other factors, such as like therapy um, and other supports. I'm really excited for this episode. I love Atypical. It is a very quick watch, I will say, so you definitely have time to watch it if you have not between now and when it releases in two weeks. Yeah, spoiler alert, it is one of Dr. Fran's favorite TV shows, so... (laughs) I finally convinced Dr. Sam to let me cover it. I wasn't against it. I was just waiting till the right moment, and I I actually, I've always wanted to watch it. I know a lot of people love it. I just haven't started, so this is just the push I need to finally watch it. I'm excited, too. As always, please subscribe, rate, and review time's up. See you next session. We'd like to thank our producer, Brandon, creative director, Eric, and webmaster, Don. Charlie also learns that his father's $300 million fortune is being left to the... Oh, nope. (laughs) Okay. I don't know why I added so much money to that. Okay, ready? (laughs) Ha <laughs> ha!